What's going on, everyone? You are listening to the Modern Markets Podcast, brought to you by FOMOHUD, where we discuss topics ranging from world banking to decentralized platforms. So sit back and enjoy, because you're going to learn today. Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of the Modern Markets Podcast, presented by FOMOHUNT, brought to you by Cal Toro and your host, Titan Inc. And now the summary for today's episode. In today's episode, we're going to be covering the interesting story of how the coronavirus may have leaked from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. We'll also talk about tokenization and the internationalization of stock markets. And finally, why this Bitcoin halving coming up in less than 23 days is the most important Bitcoin halving in Bitcoin's existence. All this and more coming up right after your global markets update. In North America, the International Monetary Fund has begun to forgive large amounts of foreign debt. 25 of the poorest countries in the world are seeing their debt forgiven by their lenders. IMF Managing Director Kristalina Georgieva stated, quote, This provides grants to our poorest and most vulnerable members to cover their IMF debt obligations for an initial phase over the next six months and will help them channel more of their scarce financial resources towards vital emergency medical and other relief efforts, end quote. Similarly, the World Bank is distributing $160 billion to 76 countries to help combat the effects of the coronavirus. In South America, Ecuador's issuer default credit rating has been downgraded to a C. The Fitch Ratings Company made the decision as Ecuador is exploring options to defer payments on billions of dollars in bonds that will mature this year. The low credit rating signifies a higher risk of default as the country struggles with the COVID-19 pandemic. And in a rare move, Ecuador has taken to selling 3 million hectares of its rainforest to a Chinese oil company. Ecuador currently owes China over $7 billion in loans, a substantial amount of it is GDP. Concerns have been voiced by indigenous people's groups claiming that the oil companies will continue to damage and pollute the affected areas. In the European Union, vehicle sales have plummeted over 50% in the EU over the last month. Sales of cars and trucks hit record lows, with Fiat Chrysler being hit particularly hard with a drop of 76.6% in gross sales. Financial forecasters are hoping for a V-shaped recovery in the coming months, though a resurgence or second wave of coronavirus cases could delay that recovery by up to a year. In Africa, South Africa Airways has made the decision to fire all 4,700 of its employees. The 86-year-old travel provider appears to be shutting down due to the lack of travelers. As a state-owned company, South African Airways has been struggling over the past decade, hiring nine CEOs over the past 10 years in its attempts to restructure and retain profitability. It has not released financial statements over the last two years, likely due to fears of liquidation and an inability to pay back loans. And lastly, in Asia, the World Bank projects a slump in growth in South Asia. A combination of a drop in tourism, supply chain disruption, and a drop in demand for textiles are most likely to blame for the drop in revenue across several nations. The Maldives is expected to be hit especially hard with an estimated drop in GDP of up to 13%. What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? It is the man, Titan Inc. here with another episode of the Modern Markets Podcast. So this episode is going to be by myself. I'm going to be doing this to cover a lot of the news and a lot of the events that are going on right now. One of those events is, uh, or, or some new information that's unfolding, is the Wuhan Institute of Virology may have leaked the coronavirus. So this is the, the news that's unfolding right now. In fact, I actually covered this two weeks ago and connected all the dots from Charles Lieber, a professor at Harvard, who was receiving funding from the uh, National Institute of Health and also the Department of Defense. Now, he was arrested on charges of Chinese 
Chinese espionage along with two other people who were Chinese nationals, one of which was also a member of the uh, Chinese National Army as a lieutenant, which apparently they did not make clear to the university because they were also university students. Now, I guess I'll just dive right into the whole situation with this. And actually, I'll, I'll go ahead and just play a clip here so you guys can hear it. This is the arrest from Charles Lieber, and I'm gonna try to enter my commentary in between here. So let's go ahead and play the clip. We're here today to announce three separate cases highlighting the ongoing threat posed by Chinese economic espionage and research theft in the United States. Federal investigators at the Lexington home of 60-year-old Dr. Charles Lieber today, moments after his arrest at his Harvard office. The complaint alleges that Dr. Lieber signed a contract with the Chinese University in Wuhan and was paid up to $50,000 per month, plus up to $158,000 in living expenses. The chair of Harvard's chemistry department, he also allegedly received more than $1.5 million to set up a research lab in China, all while working at Harvard and receiving multiple research grants from the U.S. Department of Defense and National Institutes of Health. So, so I just wanted to play all that clip. Uh, that, that is from ABC News. Keep that in mind. Now, this is important because obviously we know that the National Institute of Health and the Department of Defense has been taking part in this. Now, Apparently, the story goes that the funding was coming from the Obama administration around 2015. This was a grant provided by Department of Defense and the National Institute of Health. Trump actually talks about this in particular on one of his press briefings. So here's a video from Trump's press briefing talking about the Obama administration giving the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which, by the way, is a, it's, it's a BSL-4 pathogen lab or, or level pathogen lab. So they're basically able to handle these types of diseases. Let's go ahead and play the video. U.S. intelligence is saying this week that the coronavirus likely came from a level four lab in Wuhan. There's also another report that the NIH under the Obama administration in 2015 gave that lab $3.7 million in a grant. Why would the U.S. give a grant like that to China? Uh, the Obama administration gave them a grant of $3.7 I've been hearing about that. Uh, and we've instructed that if any grants are going to that uh, area, we're looking at it literally about an hour ago and also early in the morning. Uh, we will end that grant very quickly, but it was granted quite a while ago. They were granted a substantial amount of money. Uh, we're going to look at it and take a look, but I understand it was a number of years ago, right? So when, you are when, did you hear, when did you hear was the grant was made? 2015. 2015. Who was president then, I wonder? So obviously he is making fun of the Obama admin or pointing fingers at the Obama administration. And rightly so, because this grant was granted during 2020-15 when the Obama administration was clearly in charge. So now the question is, what was this for? And obviously the, the news is going to start spinning this in a way that would make people believe that this is a leak rather than an intentional release of the virus. So we don't know, but for whatever reason, our government had involvement in this Wuhan lab. So that's an interesting little piece of evidence there. And we also know that there was a Chinese biologist who was arrested back in late 2018 by customs agents when he entered the Detroit airport. And what was he carrying in his bag? Well, he actually had a MERS and SARS vial. It actually had on the vials the names of the diseases and 
of course, this guy was arrested. There was the mainstream media report on it, which kind of went under the radar. Now there's actually a website called project-evidence.github.io. And this report was published on April 16th, 2020. Uh, and it's labeled Evidence SARS-CoVID-2 Emerged from a Biological Laboratory in Wuhan, China. So it actually goes into very good detail. And it's interesting because it actually talks about uh, a document referred to us as Project Epstein. This is a quote, Project Epstein, unquote. The representation of this is evidence plausibly supporting theories explaining infection naturality. So this report actually goes into detail on all this. And I think I'll probably provide a link uh, on the podcast itself if you guys want to check that out. But this is a very interesting scenario and situation. And by the way, I do want to mention that the Wuhan Institute of Virology, where the level four laboratory is located, is about 29 minutes away from the market where the virus was first discovered. If you are not aware, President Trump actually cut funding completely as they are investing the investigating the World Health Organization for incompetence or some type of backing by China. And so they've cut funding completely to the World Health Organization, which a lot of people are very happy with, including myself. And the reason I'm happy is because you don't have to look very far to actually see a lot of the scandals that the World Health Organization has been involved with. And some of those scandals include the UNICEF and so on. We're not going to get into those, but if you want to go look them up, they're very easy to find. I say easy, but uh, be careful of some of those articles out there. Some of that stuff is paid for by certain uh, institutions to uh, present the facts wrongly or leave out some of those facts. So keep that in mind. But that's it for the little Wuhan Institute of Virology research. Let's actually talk about an interesting development that just happened three days ago. So the Bursa Malaysia Stock Exchange and the Shenzhen Stock Exchange have entered into a memorandum of understanding to broaden opportunities in investment and facilitate further cross-border collaboration between the two countries. So both parties welcome the collaboration through a virtual signing ceremony held in the presence of Datuk Shireen and Zahara Muhyiddin, Chairman of Bursa Malaysia and Mr. Wang Janjun, Chairman of Shenzhen Stock Exchange. So what is this mean? Well, it's actually really, really cool. And honestly, it signals the future that I've actually been talking about for a while. So what is this future that it's signaling? Well, the future is where stock exchange markets are actually internationalized. So right now in your certain specific areas, there are stock exchange markets that operate for your local regions. And for example, the New York Stock Exchange is available for US customers. Now it is not quite available to the rest of the world. So for example, I believe if you're in Nigeria, I don't even know where you would start to even try to invest in the US stock market or even the London stock market. There are certain stock markets you cannot partake in or participate in because of regulations. Now, what this is basically saying for Bursa Malaysia and the Shenzhen Stock Exchange is that they have come into an agreement where they're allowing their investors from each region the opportunity to invest in their stock markets. So it's basically the internationalization of the marketplaces. The reason this is important is because this is exactly what I believe is going to happen for the future. A lot of these markets are going to eventually become internationalized and they're going to be open up to investors across the world. So instead of like Malaysia only having the opportunity to invest in the Bursa Malaysia Stock Exchange or for example, US customers only being able to participate in the New York Stock Exchange, that won't be 
a problem in the future. And another thing that's gonna happen is tokenization is also going to make it so that these international markets can be accessed by even more customers and investors because of the ability to actually provide, quote, ownership to the investors. Now, here's the thing about tokenization, though. This is an interesting little thing about tokenization where the tokens themselves actually do not dilute the, the value of the companies that represent so whereas normally in a stock market, you would be able to get those shares of those stocks. Well, tokens seem to be a smaller dilution even against stock shares. So while this is both a good thing it is also a bad thing. So for investors, they will have a greater accessibility, but they will also have less value in owning those shares or tokens of representation for the company value. So this is both a good thing and a bad thing, but I definitely think accessibility is going to be a pretty major part of the future. And I do think that this Malaysia Shenzhen Stock Exchange collaboration is not the first one, and it's definitely not the last. So I believe that this is the way the future is going to look. So that's pretty cool. And now while we're on the subject of tokenization, I wanna explain what tokenization is. So tokenization is essentially the, the tokenizing of assets. Now, again, what does that mean? Well, okay, you have physical assets, like you have the, the deed to your house, you have a real estate development, you have you know a, a, a small company equity, you have obviously stock options, you have you know digital assets. So what's going to happen is all of these assets, these physical assets, as well as these stock assets are all gonna be one day uh, represented by a token. And this is because this is going to provide greater accessibility to the world. And again, this is where we're going. This is where the future is headed. Internationalization of these stock markets, they're all going to be one big thing. And the tokenization is what's going to help bring the future to make this happen. So you'll be able to own those tokens in a wallet, on your phone, on your computer, wherever you want to store those tokens. And those tokens will represent the value of whatever it is, whatever asset it is. Now you can think of a million different ways to utilize this and a million different ways to benefit from this. You're also losing value with tokenization in some, some form or fashion. And, and one of the reasons why you'd also want to do this, by the way, is because tokenization also means that you are uh, storing or, or saving the information or the physical assets to a blockchain. Now, this is again, this is good and bad because, you know, sometimes the physical asset itself could be more valuable on its own, at least from a standpoint, you know, away from government involvement. Now, blockchains are funny because depending on who is running the blockchain could determine the safety safety of those assets. And I don't mean safety from cyber hackers, yada, yada. I'm talking about safety from tyranny. And to be honest, that's the greatest problem that we all face is tyranny from government rather than any kind of hacker. Hackers not going to get into a blockchain and take your information. That's just not going to happen. What's more likely to happen is uh, depending on who creates the blockchain and, and you know who has domain over that blockchain could determine if you are a 
distant, you could have your assets removed from you at will, almost snatched from you, similar to how the EOS blockchain can operate, where they can essentially uh, recall assets from your wallet at will. That is a feature of the EOS blockchain. If you don't believe me, there's news articles out there. Go check it out. So it's definitely a possibility, and this is going to give more and more power to tyrannical governments. So keep that in mind. That's obviously not a, a good side about this. But again, the, the biggest thing about tokenization is the accessibility that it's going to offer. And last but not least, let's talk about the stimulus check that's coming out. So is this a good thing or a bad thing? So the stimulus check that just came out, I mean, it can't get any worse than what the government has already done. They've printed off $6 trillion in this last stimulus bill. They're trying to add more. And they're also proposing a $2,000 a month continuous stimulus payment until the economy gets back to normal. And here's a problem with that. The economy is never going to go back to normal. Okay, so what that means is that the economy is always going to hurt and the economy is never going to go back to normal, especially not when you are introducing $2,000 to every single citizen in the United States, effectively causing hyperinflation. If you think that giving $2,000 to everybody, first of all, would be a terrible idea to do because of the fact that why would you go to work? $2,000 is probably more than some people make going to work. So why go to work? Why, why wouldn't you just stay home, take your $2,000 a month and just sit on the couch? Now, mind you, this $2,000 a month is going to slowly disappear when prices for gallons of milk are $20. And everything, every grocery, every food you can buy is ridiculous prices. So your $2,000 a month is eventually going to have to put you back to work, but only long enough until everybody starts realizing that the division between the rich and the poor gets even wider and there's nothing you can do about it. Even if you stop, you know, giving out $2,000 a month, you've already hyperinflated the currency to ridiculous numbers that you cannot return from. And obviously we know there's no backing to the currency, so you can just print willy-nilly. That's that's a given. They've been doing that forever. And at that point, you, you pretty much enter a period of hyperinflation that you just cannot escape. And if I had to guess, I'd say most of that money, most stimulus money would start to drain into Bitcoin. I can't think of any other asset, maybe gold, but, uh, but you're talking about paper gold. I mean, physical gold is really the only thing that's going to save you. But getting physical gold or getting your hands on physical gold is almost impossible these days, especially during these times. I mean, a lot of these physical gold retailers are sold out. So if you're trying to get your hands on physical gold, good luck. Bitcoin just so happens to be in stock. In fact, in 23 days, Bitcoin is going to be having, and this is very, very important. This Bitcoin having that's coming up is so crucial to the future of Bitcoin success. And not only that, but the future of the financial systems in this world. Because what's happening is currently the Fed is trying to counteract the inflation rate, but they're not doing a very good job because they're about, to, I mean, they're just printing willy nilly for First of all, they actually lowered their interest rates to try to, I, I think, to try to compete with Bitcoin, eventually reaching a inflation rate less than 2%, less than the average for most central banks targets. Now, the reason this is important is obvious. I mean, when Bitcoin reaches an inflation rate less than 2%, which is coming with this halving, obviously, at that point, you now have the ability to put your money into Bitcoin and expect that if this just 
simply straightens out and if it flattens out like it is doing over time then you can count on keeping more and more of your money and your value over the US dollar which is constantly being hyperinflated by the US government by excessive printing and at some point people are going to say hey wait a minute this money doesn't work for me bitcoin it seems to be the only option and i believe money is going to flood into bitcoin and we'll see what happens but this is the most important bitcoin having of bitcoin's entire existence we're going to see exactly what happens in less than 23 days. But that's it for this episode, ladies and gentlemen. I really hope you enjoyed this podcast episode. And if you did, make sure to go ahead and rate this podcast wherever you're listening to, because it would mean a lot. It would mean a lot. Go ahead and share it with some friends if you enjoy it, if you really do appreciate the information you're getting from it. And hopefully we can continue to educate people one listener at a time. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps us up for this episode of the Modern Markets Podcast. And if you're interested in checking out the newsletter that I use for my research in this podcast, episode, you can find the newsletter at modernmarkets.substack.com. I'll talk to you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Modern Markets Podcast with your host, Titan. Don't forget to reach out to us. Some of the best ideas we get are from our listeners. And sign up for our free newsletter that comes out every Wednesday. We tackle some of the hardest hitting stories in banking, fintech, and decentralized payment systems.